Hey, y'all, Rick Houston here, host of the Scene Vault Podcast and the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I spend most of my time locked away in the studio here, but this weekend is my chance to finally get to meet and greet a bunch of you. Come meet me at North Wilkesboro Speedway this Saturday. I'll be at the Moonshine and Motorsports Trail booth in the fan zone at noon. We'll have a show truck there and some cool giveaways as well, so come check us out and say hello. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no. I think the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce, of UNC Asheville to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experiences of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap cheapo cars and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then. The guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was the chicken. And so he ran (laughs) off the road. And actually, he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at polepositionmag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. This is a special episode of what I consider to be a very special podcast. I would like to welcome the new listeners that we hope to bring in when this story breaks. And at the same time, I'd like to thank our listeners who have stuck around for the last four years. Doing this show would be impossible without support on Patreon and PayPal. If you like what you hear this week, and if you want to go back into the backlog of our previous shows, and if you like that, 
if you appreciate responsible motorsports journalism, then please consider supporting us financially. If you possibly can, please consider supporting us on a monthly basis via patreon.com slash the same vault podcast. If you would prefer to do a one-time show of support, you can do that via paypal.me slash the same vault podcast. That being said, enjoy the show. Trust me. It's going to be one heck of a ride. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. If you would just start us off by introducing yourself. My name is Larry Wright. I raced under the name of LW. I got off by myself that day, and I said, Lord, I'm down here. I'm going to need some help. If you could find somebody that said that I owe them $30,000, you tell them I'll face them. I want to see who they are, and I want to know how it comes about. So now, if that makes them stutter, you know what I'm talking about. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's Racing Showplace, and a track that truly does care about NASCAR history. Steve, it has been a long journey to get to this point, hasn't it? Absolutely, Rick. (laughs) We are releasing this episode on Monday, May 2nd. Now, do you have any idea what the significance of that date is? It's the 40th anniversary of the event we are about to tell you. It is the 40th anniversary of the 1982 Winston 500 at Talladega Super Speedway. Steve, you covered that race. You were there. You wrote the race lead for Grand National Scene. Benny Parsons sat on the pole. He led a total of 84 laps, and he wound up finishing third. Darrell Waltrip led 54 laps and beat Terry Labonte to the checkered flag by about three car lengths. That race has gone down in NASCAR legend for another reason. Now, Steve, do you have any idea what that reason might be? I think it has something to do with the mysterious appearance and later disappearance of a certain individual who claimed to be a driver. And what would that driver's name be? L.W. Wright. There are a million theories out there about what happened to L.W. Wright after Talladega and just as many, if not more, L.W. conspiracy theory videos on YouTube. He has been missing in action for 40 years, four decades. Nobody has talked to him on the record since Talladega. But Steve, today, guess what? We got him. (laughs) (laughs) The person known as L.W. Wright and I talked for two and a half hours on the record. And Steve, he answered every question I asked. That's amazing, Rick. What a feat it is to finally get this interview all this time. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to include maybe 10 or 11 minutes of audio here on the podcast. 
before you ask or before anybody asks, why not include all two and a half hours like we would normally do? Let's just say I got to save something for the book <laughs> and whatever else comes along. Now, obviously, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. I don't want to get my hopes up. But trust me, the other two hours and 15 minutes or so are good. <laughs> got to be good, Rick. And you got to hold on to it because you never know. Yeah, you want to write a book. You can't write a book unless you got it. Wait, I just got a text from Tom Hanks. <laughs> Ron Howard on line one. Okay, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I apologize for that. But, Steve, in more than 30 years as a journalist, this is by far the wildest ride I have ever been on, bar none, hands down, cross my heart, hand to heaven. <laughs> this was almost a year in the making. It was a year of ups and downs, and I would get close, and then something would happen. I would get oh, close. Oh, Rick, you don't have to tell me. I know all about it. <laughs> you spent that last year telling me every step you've made to get this accomplished, and you've had doors open, only to close in your face. And you had a yes here, only to get a no later on. Then maybe a maybe's coming in your way. <laughs> it just took a lot of effort on your part to get it done, and I know how hard you worked at it, and I know how proud you are to be successful. Steve, I got to be honest with you. There were points when I would tell you the latest update, and you would look at me. You wouldn't necessarily roll your eyes. <laughs> 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 but let me tell you, if you weren't believing that it was actually going to happen – the same, if not more, was true for me. Well, Rick, I finally realized you were not chasing a ghost. You gave me plenty of evidence of that. So I was just behind you all the way. When this story does drop, when it hits, there are going to be people saying, it's not him. This is an yeah, imposter. Right. Well, let's just say this. It is him. Oh, yeah. Beyond the faintest shadow of a doubt, there is one photo known of him from Talladega. It's him there standing next to the car. That was in Grand National Scene, by the way. And the person that I talked to and the person in the picture are one and the same. Absolutely. The photo in newsprint, it's not the clearest photo, but you can still make out enough of the facial stuff and, and the body build and all that. It's the same guy. Now, if that's not good enough, he still has the uniform that he wore that day in Talladega, and it matches up perfectly to that photo. The only difference is that the photo shows the suit with a champion spark plug patch, and that patch is missing on the suit that I was shown. However, you can see where that patch was, and it's the exact size and shape of the champion patch. So I don't know what happened to the champion patch. That would be the ultimate collectible right. in, <laughs> in NASCAR history. So I'm telling you, when I saw that suit, my hands were just absolutely shaking. Well, it's very clear that even without the patch, the outline of the patch, and the fact that it does match up with champion spark plugs proves it's the real deal. Yeah. Absolutely. The patches on the shoulder match up. The Winston Cup driver's patch matches up. The stripes on the sleeves match up. So this is the real deal, and there is no denying that. And we are going to handle this episode a little bit differently this week. Over the years that we've been doing this podcast, 
We have been known for sharing the story behind the story. This episode is the story behind the legend. So we're going to run clips. We're not going to run the interview straight through. The clips are going to be about his story, solely about Talladega. Again, I'll just leave the rest of the life story before Talladega. I'll leave that up to your imagination. I got it on the record, and it's really good stuff. Then, in what would normally be our issue of the week segment, I thought it would be kind of cool to let our listeners in on a little bit of how all this went down. So you're going to interview me. I'll give you the story as best I can. Well, let me tell you, Rick, I've got some questions, and I know what you're going to tell me is going to be great, interesting stuff. Bring it on, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait a second. Is this going to be one of those hostile interviews? <laughs> no, Rick, you haven't got a thing to worry about. Call me Sasquatch one time, and I'm out of here. <laughs> so, Steve, here goes. For the first time ever, Enjoy an interview with the person that we all knew as L.W. Wright. And also, just as a reminder, this show is not affiliated in any way with American City Business Journal's owners of the same brand. This segment is brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway. America's Racing Showplace. Before the person known as L.W. Wright and I went on the record with all the microphones and lights and cables and soundboard in place after everything that had gone into landing this interview, after everything that went into actually traveling to the interview, there's a book and a movie in that alone. I'm not exaggerating that, but it was absolutely the most surreal moment of my career. But once I asked that first question, introduce yourself, bam. I mean, I was back in my wheelhouse, my comfort zone. I'm a journalist at heart. I was asking questions and he was answering them. And so just like that, I don't want to say just another interview because it certainly was not just an interview, but I was far more comfortable. That would be my point, Rick. A journalist can do a much better job when he's comfortable with his subject, and his subject is comfortable with him, and you achieve that. So here's the first clip. It's short, but it was a long time in coming. If you would just start us off by introducing yourself. My name is Larry Wright. I raced under the name of L.W. It's late April in 1982, and Larry Wright decides that he wants to run the upcoming Winston 500 at Talladega. Here's how he came about the car that he drove that weekend. Someone told me that Cuckoo had a car for sale. I said, well, what is it? And he told me what it was. And I said, well, I need to check into that. So I drove, I called them. They said, yeah, we got one. So we drove down and looked at it. And the car was red, completely red, inside and out. And I said, well, what do you want for it? And he told me. I said, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you'll sell me the car and pit it at the first race, pit stop first race, so my crew can catch on what you do, I'll buy it. And he said, well, we can do that. And that's when I bought the car. And I said, now, I'll buy it only if you'll paint the car black and put number 34 on it because 34 come from Wendell Scott. He was always one that tried to race, didn't have the means or the money. 
and I picked up his old number. Plus, I was 34 years old when I started racing. And that's the reason why you ran 34. That's why I ran 34. <laughs> a lot of the controversy about L.W. Wright has always centered around the involvement of country music entertainers like T.G. Shepard and Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings. Back in the early 80s, they were the guys in country music at that time. So here's Larry on that. It got into the press that you had sponsorship from or backing or whatever. Right from people like T.G. Shepard and Merle Haggard. Right. I, I think Waylon Jennings was, right. was mentioned at one point. What was the deal with that? How did that come Well, out? Waylon Jennings, we were sitting in a, a apartment studio in Hennessville, North Carolina, I mean, South, I mean, Tennessee, and they were, uh, uh, George Jones and Merle Haggard was there to do a, a duet on a new album. And... I had been working on the bus, and that evening, they told me to come over. They want to talk to me. So we went over to the studio apartment there in Hendersonville, and there was three of them there. And they told me, they said, and Merle called me Hoss. Always called me Hoss because I was a big old boy. He said, Hoss, we hear you want to race. I said, well, we're trying. He said, well, why don't you let us make up a little bit of money and help you get there? He said, now, we're not going to sign a lot of sponsorship, but we're going to give you some money to go race with. I said, well. Now, was this going into Talladega or was this? That was going to Talladega. Okay. And I told him, I said, well, uh, let me figure out what I need and what we want to do, and I'll approach you back. And that's when each one of them, like Merle give uh, $3,000. George Jones give $3,000. I mean, uh, Wayland give $3,000. He said, Hoss, that'll take care of your tires and your motel bill, won't it? I said, yes, sir. And that's what they did. But I had a lot of friends in country music, and I didn't use any of them uh-huh. other than what they wanted to do. Okay. Larry got to Talladega for the race, and you can just imagine his reaction when he arrived at the track. Was this all going to be worth it? Had you ever been to Talladega before? Never seen the track. What do you remember about pulling in? I remember pulling, pulling into the infield that day and standing at the end of the track and looking down it, and I looked over at my brother, and I said, Lord, have mercy. Ain't no way. He said, what do you mean? And I said, you think about holding that car, the pedal flat on the floor, all the way around this track. I said, that straightaway is almost a mile long. How much can that car gain before you go into that turn? And that was my first thought. And I said, I got off by myself that day. And I said, Lord, I said, Lord, I'm down here, but I'm going to need some help. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I didn't tell nobody else that. But anyway, uh, when we went out to practice the next day, I got a little more confident because I knew the car would run. And uh, uh, Bobby Allison come over to me and told me, he said, now look, if you don't qualify for a straight, don't feel bad, because there's a lot of guys here that ain't gonna make the feel. I said, I appreciate that, Mr. Allison, and, but I, I come down here for one reason, to make this feel. He said, well, you're cocky enough. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I appreciate it. And then Earnhardt, after practice, 
Dale come over to me, and that's when Dale was running number 15 at Ranger's car. And Dale said, uh, Buddy, he said, now look here. When you go out there, you get on the back of someone that's been here before and follow them. Stay with them. And then make you move. I said, okay, buddy, I do appreciate that. And he hit me on the arm as he walked off. May 2nd, 1982, Larry has qualified 36th for the Winston 500 at Talladega Super Speedway. He wrecked on his second lap of qualifying, got the car put back together, and then he started the race. And he was slow, and by lap 13, he had been black flagged and off the racetrack. No surprise to the most of us in the press box. Rick, at this time, at every Talladega race, there was always one or two or even more local boys who only attempted to race at Talladega. It happened just about every time. You could see him on the entry list. And we thought LW was just one of those guys. And when he was taken out of the race because he was too slow, it was no big surprise. <laughs> but things were just getting started. Uh, this is where the legend takes hold. The most common train of thought is that he left the car at the track and then vanished into thin air. Well, the problem with that is that both Racing Reference and the May 13th, 1982 issue of Grand National Scene confirm that he failed to qualify for the next week's race at the Fairgrounds racetrack in Nashville. So he was at Nashville. That is evidence that he did not just disappear at Talladega, as the legend goes. It was after Nashville that the walls started closing in around Larry. And believe me, again, there's a lot more to that story. So, again, the story that we thought that we knew was that checks started bouncing to Sterling, to NASCAR for the licenses, to Goodyear for tires, to whoever. And here's what Larry had to say about that. From what I understand, checks started bouncing. To NASCAR for your license, checked Sterling for the balance of... We didn't give Sterling a check. Did you not? No. I didn't give him a check for the... Uh, the license he was cash. So you paid cash for all Cash for the license. The okay. Did not give Sterling the check because I told Sterling, when I come back and tell Daga, I'll pay you for the car. Didn't give him nothing. Okay. Goodyear? We didn't pay Goodyear nothing. Okay. At all. They was going to bill us for the tires. Okay. We didn't pay them nothing. on. They, I wouldn't I wouldn't have wrote checks anyway. Right. But that was just something someone cooked up. Okay. So it wasn't so much bounce checks as basically unpaid. 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 That's right. Okay. All right. But like I told you before, there, when I told you you could ask me anything you wanted to ask me, and I'd want to tell you the truth about it, but I want to tell you why. And this is one of them whys. The people that was putting money in the car to catch up these promise notes or bills didn't when we didn't get to run the race they just quit so it was left on me by myself and that's what happened it wouldn't have i didn't now say say that again all I, right like goodyear uh-huh. i had that promise from two different people that they would pay the expense of the tires and motel bills okay now, now who, we didn't who, who had promised that that come from that uh 
garbage company in uh, Galton. It was ABC Waste Company. They, we put their name on the car, and that's what he was supposed to do to catch up the slack. And after we didn't make the race or didn't run the race, he just reneged, and that left me in a bad position. After you didn't make the race at Nashville? Yeah, okay. at Nashville. All right. And uh, the, the tires at Talladega, Goodyear was going to bill us for the tires. Because if you qualify in the top ten, they give them to you. We didn't. So, therefore, we owed the tire bill, which it wasn't a lot, but it was still a bill. The bill going to uh, Sterling Marling's dad, like I said, was $1,700, and there was no check involved. Because I told him when I get back, I'd pay him for it. And they was satisfied with that. Okay. You know. So there was a lot of stuff told it wasn't so. Today, Larry Wright says that the huge amounts of money that he allegedly swindled, stole, whatever the right terminology right. is, the huge amounts of money that people say that he owed back then are an outright myth. Where do the stories come from? The warrant from NASCAR the $30,000 from Bernie Terrell, is this just because a lot of time has passed or because it's legend or myth? Well, or? it was that come about 10 years after I quit. And who cooked it up, I couldn't tell you. And why, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Because nobody, nobody had nothing to gain. I didn't give anybody any rights uh, or sign anything to let them use my name or T-shirts, for instance. Them come up out of the blue. Who who knew about that? I didn't. Someone else told me about it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So no, that stuff, is, it was a myth. It wasn't nothing that was so. Uh, if you could find somebody that said that I owed them $30,000, you tell them I'll face them. I want to see who they are. And I want to know how it come about. All right. So now, if that makes them stutter, you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Okay? So, Steve, now that you've heard a little bit of L.W. Wright's side of the story, Larry Wright's side of the story, what do you think? Well, Rick, listen to what L.W. had to say about this story. And knowing what we knew about the story beforehand, I'm thinking that there's a bit more to what's going on than we really know. This segment is brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing show place. So, Steve, what do you want to know, and what do you think our listeners should know about all this? About the only thing they should know is to take into consideration everything they've heard before and everything they've heard Larry say afterward and make their own conclusions. So do you have any questions for me? Rick, I know you've been pursuing this for a long, long time. When did you first hear about the LW story, and why did that compel you to make this great hunt to bring him in front of the microphone? I think if you've spent any time at all in the NASCAR community, you've heard the story of L.W. Wright. You might not know the, yeah. the entire story, sure. but you might not know the details, but certainly you think that you know part of the legend. 
And then in the process of digitizing the scene and, and scanning all those newspapers myself, that issue from Talladega is one of the ones that I actually scanned. And so when the story cropped up, I think there were a couple of videos that came up on YouTube and everything asking who he was and talking about the story and everything and wondering if he would ever be found. I went back and I found that photo. And to my knowledge, the photo in Grand National Scene the following week is the only known photo of L.W. Wright or Larry Wright that was taken at Talladega. Now, I know since then, and I know in chasing this story, that there were others that were taken. Yeah, right. And I'm trying my best to get those. <laughs> this search ain't over yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think so. Got to save something for the book. <laughs> <laughs> we all know the story of ACBJ and how all that went away and, and my reaction to that. At about that same time, I got in contact with somebody close to LW. And we started a dialogue with text messages and everything. And like I said before, we would get close to talking. We'd get close to meeting. And then something would happen. L.W. Wright has had some health issues. True. So that played a major factor in delaying the process. I also think that it played a major factor in us actually sitting down because, you know, None of us are going to last forever. Right. And I think that he wanted to get his side of the story out there with somebody that he trusted. And because of how long we had been in contact, finally, a week ago Saturday, I got a phone call, and I didn't recognize the number, and I answered. I figured it was a, you know something about my car warranty or something. <laughs> and he goes, I speak to Rick Houston? Yeah. I think you know me as L.W. Wright. Steve, I'm telling you. I, I had to be something. <laughs> oh, man. I'm telling you, if I didn't have a heart attack in that moment, if I didn't have a stroke in that moment. <laughs> you never will. Well, I might. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I'll take that back. Trust me, these, this past couple of weeks has, has been something. Yeah, I might have one because of everything that's happened afterwards, but that's another story, another book. But, yes, I mean, if you're in the NASCAR press corps, you want this story. And I just was able to be in a place where I had the time to invest into pursuing it. To me, it's a major home run for the podcast. Well, you are aware, of course, that other journalists have been trying to get this story for years. When I say other journalists, I mean other journalists from other major outlets, not just a podcast like us. And you got it. Now, that number one, that's got to give you a certain measure of satisfaction. Well, any scoop. Any scoop gives you satisfaction. When I worked in the Bush series, I actually had teams who scheduled their press conferences around Winston Cup Saints print schedule so we could have it as close as possible sure. to the actual announcement. And so I would have a story maybe before somebody else would because we were a major outlet. But, yes, it's a journalist's responsibility to get the story First, right, and get it but, right, but get it right. That's right. Exactly. And I believe that. Well, I know for a fact we got this first, but I also believe that we got it right. All right, Rick. Well, you got the story. You got the story first. You got the story complete. Let's ask you now: Do you think the L.W. Wright has told you 
the entire truth. When it comes to his life before Talladega, I was very impressed by how detailed he was in his memories. As far as people that he knew, people that he worked for, companies that he worked for, he was very specific. And that's what really impressed me. Right, yeah. So I think that there are some parts that, again, I think I need to verify. But when it comes to Talladega itself, yeah, I believe him. I really do. Yeah, I think you're now, right. No, yeah. I think there are probably some loose ends uh, around there, but it has been 40 years. Right. You know, as, as I sort of pointed out, there were people involved in this situation that had a much different view of what went on other than LW. That's to be expected. I'll put it this way. I asked every question that I knew to ask about every single issue pertaining to Talladega. Right. The country music connection. I asked him about the bounce checks, and he had answers for all of those, and they sounded very, very plausible right. to me. Well, Rick, you told me the story of how you got the interview, okay? Now tell me the process that you undertook during that interview. Oh, boy. Yeah. How much time you got, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> it was by far, like I said earlier, it was by far the most incredible story or situation of my career. Right. I was never given an address where to meet him. Really? No, I was not. He called me on the morning of the interview and he told me to get on the interstate headed in a certain direction and then call my contact who would tell me where to meet him so he could lead me to where we were going to be meeting. Well, that sounds mighty cloak and dagger to me. Well, it's as cloak and dagger as I ever want to get. (laughs) (laughs) And we met the contact, and then we followed him. We went down a road. It it was a paved road, but it was one of these paved roads with a lot of gravel on top of it. It was kind of semi-paved. And wasn't anything else around that I could see. Todd Phillips, our sound guy. Sure. Went along because he helped me with the setup and everything. And I actually told Todd, if you want to turn around, if you want me to take you back to the gas station, I will do that. And by that time, I think he was in it too deep. (laughs) 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 I think he was already hearing the banjos. (laughs) I was going to say, it sounds like deliverance. (laughs) So, yes, we got there. We got to the site. And honestly, I felt once we got there, I felt safe. Everything was okay. We got all the sound equipment, the cameras set up. It was only then that they went and got LW and brought him in. Goodness gracious. I'm telling you, that's right out of James Bond right well, there. To me, it just kind of adds to the story. And But, yeah, that's how it came about. Okay, I'll ask, what happens next with LW and this interview? When does everybody get to hear the rest of the story? That's a really good question. <laughs> I wish I could tell you right now. All I know is this. There is some interest in this already, but I don't have any idea where it's going to lead. In my heart of hearts, what I would like to see come out of it, like I said earlier, at the very least, there's a really good book in it. Who knows what happens after that? I'm not going to go so far as to dream about Hollywood. I'm not going to go so far as to dream about a documentary or Netflix or Amazon or Hulu. 
you know, I'm not going to dream about any of those, although I'm naming them off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to dream about yeah, HBO. Don't dream. <laughs> not going to dream about 30 for 30 on ESPN. Not gonna, you know, but yes, there is a small window of opportunity with this story. And I want to do right by the podcast. I want to do right by LW. My head is literally swimming with possibilities. Right. And I'm trying really hard not to get my hopes up. Right. But I really feel like this is going to be good for the podcast. And whatever happens after that, who knows. But seriously, you can contact me via Rick at thescenevault.com, and we can do some business. Tom Hanks, Ron Howard. (laughs) (laughs) There you go again. Channing Tatum, if you're out there and you want to play Rick Houston in this project. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, Steve, I don't think that Don Rickles is available to play you. I know Rodney Dangerfield is. (laughs) So play your cards right. We might get you an upgrade on the actor for your part in the movie. (laughs) Brad Pitt. He's definitely unavailable. He's definitely busy during shooting. Hello, Scene Vault fans. This is Brian from Speedway Screens. And if you're enough of a NASCAR historian to be listening to this podcast, there's a good chance a piece of the past you've been on the hunt for is in my shop. I'm constantly on the hunt for apparel and collectibles from all genres and eras of motorsports. So whether it be cup cars, dirt modifieds, dragsters, or monster trucks, I've probably got something for you. Check out my inventory at speedwaytsj.etsy.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Speedway Screens for the newest items as soon as they drop and for a peek at what I keep for my own collection. As a special thank you to listeners of this show, just enter scene at checkout for 10% off. Speedwaytsj.etsy.com. That's speedwaytsj.etsy.com. This podcast has been brought to you by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. So, Steve, what in the world are we going to do to top this one, boss man? I don't know, Rick. Do you reckon we could find D.P. Cooper? After this, anything is possible. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anthony's still recording. Man, you want to take care care of the rapper? He's all right. What the heck? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs>